Welcome to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College, and this is Henry McCarthy, your host, and as we like to say on this program, we write poems every day in our hearts, but we're often afraid to share them, so send me a few lines to McCarthyHenry at Yahoo.com. We're very pleased today to have Lee Smith on the program. Many of you know Lee Smith. She's one of her own, so we're going to go directly now. I'm actually interviewing her in her home down in Hillsboro, North Carolina. So, Lee, welcome to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7. Well, thank you, and welcome to Hillsboro, North Carolina. Well, I was down at the bookstore, and I noticed, what's the name of that bookstore down there? Oh, the Purple Crow. Right. And yeah. They have all of your books, and so it's just a pleasure having you. And the first question we ask is, where are you from? I'm from Grundy, Virginia, and uh, I was born in 1944 in Grundy. In November, right? In November. Yeah, you're a right. month younger than me. Right, right. And uh, my father ran the, a lot of people knew him because he had a very public persona. He ran the Ben Franklin Dime Store and owned it for 55 years. 55 and so, years. Yeah. yeah. And my grandfather was the county treasurer in the courthouse right across the street. And my mother taught home economics in the public high school for a long time. And so uh, just Grundy through and through. So, so and I always loved it. It was a very happy childhood Your mom there. came there to teach, didn't she? Well, actually, no, actually, she met Daddy, and he swept her off her feet. And she had a teaching job um, up in Pennsylvania and he just went up there and wouldn't leave until she married him. And so they ran off and got married, and then he brought her to Grundy. Well, a minor point here. So she was from Pennsylvania then? Or? No, she was from Chincoteague Island, Virginia. Oh, my god. So, I mean, you couldn't have two farther away places in Virginia to have your parents be from than Grundy and Chincoteague Island. And she had gone to Madison College, as it was called then, and in home economics. But her first job was up in Pennsylvania. So Daddy just went up there and courted her. And so you went to high school there for until the end of your sophomore year, is that mm -hmm, right? So. Mm -hmm. I went to uh, high school in Grundy and then yeah. went to St. Catherine School in Richmond for my junior right. and senior years. And then went to Hollins. All these are all Virginia, all Virginia schools. Went to Hollins College, is Hollins University now in Roanoke. Well, now, they had a class uh, reunion, 50th, over in Grundy not too long ago because I was uh, down at Zazie's. And by the way, we're on the road today, but we come to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. And I was down at Zazie's Coffee, and a fellow was in there, and his name was Jim Brown. And he said he'd been back to his 50th class reunion, oh, I know and he it. knew you. Yes, that's right. And I intended to crash that reunion with my cousin, particularly my cousin Randy Venable, who was going. And... Uh, then something happened with my grandchildren, and I, and I couldn't do it. But um, there's something special about having grown up in Grundy. I will tell you, my cousin and I were just talking about it, maybe because in the years when we were growing up there, we were um, really cut off. You know, the right. road was terrible. Yeah. In fact, people always spoke and still speak of coming to Grundy as going in, like when's he coming in, when's he going out, like you're going into some into something. And it did seem like a 
another world. But is it, there's an old mountain saying, you know, what is it? Uh, rough winds or rough weather makes tall timber. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> well, I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. It makes, you know, strong and self-sufficient people and also people that live very closely with each other. I mean, in Grundy, growing up there, one thing I have to say is you knew absolutely everybody in town. And you were not aware of sort of a social structure or a class structure or anything like I think in other parts of the South. You really were not. And people really took care of each other. And later on, I would live other places and I would realize how unusual that was and how privileged I was to have that kind of childhood. Who were some of your influences uh, on you? Do you remember some influences, some teachers? And I always ask, do you remember the first thing you ever wrote, a poem or a little paragraph or something? <laughs> well, this is hard to say, Henry, because I had a lot of influences. I had incredibly good teachers in Grundy. But I think mainly I was a reader. I was an only child born to older parents and I did have a lot of time that I could fill on my own. Daddy was working at that dime store till 11 o'clock at night a lot of times. And so I had time to read, and I was an absolutely passionate reader. And my first writing, actually, was because I could not stand for my books to end, the little books that I was reading. And so I would write more chapters on to the end of them because I couldn't stand for them to end. And a lot of times I would include myself in the plot. So, for instance, at Heidi, you know, Heidi or the Secret Garden or whatever it might be, you know, subsequent chapters would find Lee Smith, you know, in the garden with Colin in the Secret Garden or Lee Smith, one of Nancy Drew's friends, along with Bess Marvin and George Fain. And so, really, it was a love of reading, I think, that um, led me specifically into writing. Now, Daddy loved to um, read out loud and recite poetry mm. out loud right. too and he loved kipling he could do the road to mandalay the whole thing okay. and he could do just all kinds of poems mm. and of course there was a lot of um, singing going on and then in my family there were a lot of people who were really good storytellers Very too good. so i think um i had my reading from the time i was a child and then I was listening to some of the best stories you can possibly imagine, both from some of the older folks in my own family and from people just around town. I mean, I hung out downtown, you know, at the courthouse and in front of the, you know, dime store where people were playing music every Saturday and so on. So I was really privileged to hear some wonderful stories as well as read a lot of books. Well, it's obvious uh, in your writing that you understand the people of the mountains. And I know that Cormac McCarthy, you know, he started out in East Tennessee down around Knoxville. I know. And one time I picked up a copy of his The Orchard Keeper years and years ago, and I thought, this man is from those mountains. You know, he doesn't always give a good character tour of those people, or necessarily. Sometimes they're a little way out. But anyway, Cormac McCarthy, he's another person I like to read. And I know... Me too, and uh, I have taught. I have taught his books. You know, well, yeah. I'm going to come back to it because we want to talk about your books today. And this is Henry McCarthy of WEHC 90.7 Poets and Writers. And we're interviewing 
Lee Smith on the road today in Hillsboro, North Carolina. Now you went on up to Virginia, on up to Richmond, and then you went to Hollins College, didn't yes, you? Yes, it was a wonderful choice. Talk for about me. a little bit about those Hollins girls, Lee. Well, I'll tell you. Um, when I went to college, it was 1963, and creative writing was not a part of the curriculum in just about any college in, in the country. But I just happened upon Hollins College in particular because my favorite cousin, Peggy Smith from Grundy, had gone to Hollins. And that's why I went. I did not go because they had creative writing courses. I didn't even know they had creative writing courses. People will assume that, but I did not know that. However, one of the first professors in the country who ever taught such classes had fetched up there Lewis D. Rubin, Dr. Rubin, and he had just finished teaching uh, John Barth and William Styron and some other pretty good writers up at Johns Hopkins, and he had come to Hollins to teach, and so he began teaching creative writing classes, so just when I got there. So it was a very fortuitous, and also fortuitous was the fact that I fell in among a group of other girls who were just as crazy about reading and writing as I was. And so we, we pretty much, you know, you know, hung out for the next four years, and we all just wrote our heads off, and well, we had a wonderful time. Exactly, and you have a book, and we're going to talk about some of your books. And one of the uh, one of the titles of your book, one of the later books, is The Last Girls, That's right? Because right. you refer to them as girls. This is before the feminist movement came in, so you could call them girls, correct? That's right. Well, yeah. it's funny. I, I, you know, Henry, I went down the Mississippi River on a raft, with all the girls that were in one of my seminars at Holland's College, we were reading uh, Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn. And I remember it was February and it was cold and during one of those silences, which will sometimes fall in class, one of the girls said, wouldn't it be fun to do that? Go down the river on a raft? We could do that. And damn if we didn't. We had this one very entrepreneurial girl in the class named Tricia Neal, and she just organized us, and we started raising money, and sure enough, when that semester was over, we went to Paducah, Kentucky, and built a raft, and went down the Mississippi River 1,400 miles. And you've waited to write about that. You waited until, what, uh, oh. 98, or when did, when <laughs> did that did. come out? I did. Well, you know, because that, well, this has to do with the nature of fiction, because frankly, when we took this trip, it was just so much fun. It was just a wonderful trip. But to have a novel, you know, you've got to have conflict. You've got to have meaning. You've got to have something beyond just a fabulous, you know, once-in-a-lifetime trip that you're going on with your friends and a retired riverboat captain. You know, right. you got to have more. And so it was only after my 30th reunion, I guess, that I really realized what the subject could be and that I could use it as fiction and it would be, you know, expectation versus reality. What did we all think our lives would be like, you know, graduate, you know, in 1966 when we took that trip? 30 years later, what had our lives been like? And because everything had changed for women, everything in terms of expectation, reality, 
you know, we were divorced, we'd had jobs, we'd had different lives from our mothers, and, and what had the reality of this been? And so I really did have a thing. And that's why you titled it The Last Girl. Yeah, we were the last girls. Right. Now, if, if a group like us took that same trip, they would be referred to only as women, well, now I of have course, to, in the newspapers. I have to correctly. share a funny story with you, and I, I, I'm going to indulge myself very quickly. Good. But I was on the Hollis, Hollins campus, and I was there at a workshop, and I was walking down the hallway. And these young ladies came out, and, you know, they had the spiked hair and the red hair and so on. I love going up there. I love the freedom on that campus. And they had, they said, sir, could you come in here for a minute in this room? And I went in there, and they had a camera set up, you know. And they said, we have some questions to ask you. And the first question was, are you a feminist? And I said, I am right now, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so cute. This has been a couple of years ago. So the, the last girl's title, and I, in reading that book and reading the intro to it, I appreciated that. Now, you have written how many books? How many books oh, have you written? I, I think... Mean, well, I think I've published 16. 16. Fiction. And then yeah. I have also had the pleasure of doing a couple of non particularly an oral history of Grundy, Virginia, Virgi with yes, yes. high school students. Right. And before the town, now the downtown is all gone that mm -hmm. was there when I grew up. And so we were, we were trying to, to grab that and interview mm -hmm. people associated with it before it, it disappeared due to this flood control Well, project. you left Hollins, and then you came on down to UNC, and mm -hmm. then you went over to North Car Carolina and, and taught at North Carolina State. Mm -hmm. And uh, But you don't have an MFA, right? You didn't I don't have any graduate degrees beyond, um, no graduate degrees, just beyond the you know, undergraduate degree. And actually, right after college, I worked on newspapers. And I worked on the Richmond paper in the summer some, and then I went to um, Alabama and worked on the Tuscaloosa News for four years, and that was fabulous. I, I can't think, really, of a better, uh, sort of a better tutelage, I mean, a better program for a would-be novelist, because, you know, if you're a reporter, that gives you an entree into talking to all these people radically unlike yourself at points of crisis when they will tell you anything and I just I had I had a wonderful time well, you working know, for the I paper. did not know that about you yeah. there are so you know Mark Twain of course Sam Clemens comes to mind because of all his experience right. on the newspaper yeah. and starting there's there there's nothing and, like and it there's nothing I, like it if there, you're a realist I'm a realist there is a writer and I cannot think of that I've just been reading and I really was surprised also and I didn't that they had worked on several newspapers so that is very very interesting mm -hmm. now I want to talk what were some of your early books? The first one was when the The first book bloomed. was named the first book was named The Last Day the Dogbushes Bloomed and I actually wrote the first version of it as a senior at Holland's College. It was my senior thesis for which I got six hours credit. Exactly. And, um, and really, I'm so glad I wrote it then. I always tell my students now that um, there are things you can't write later. And this is a little novel that was written from a nine-year-old's point of view, a very imaginative, stuck-in-a-book kind of nine-year-old that I had been myself, and a child who creates a whole world of the imagination just to avoid some difficult things that are going on in her own family. 
Well, that part was made up, but her character and the way she thought was not. And that's something I cannot do anymore. I can't write from a nine-year-old's point of view. And I'm so glad that I wrote it when I was in my 20s. Well, I was reading, rereading last night, Saving Grace. Oh, yeah. And I enjoyed that book. We all relate. I thought you were so on target with your voice in that. If I you hope can so. use the term because... <clears throat> the preacher reminded me really of my uncles. I, I grew up with some uncles just like you described. And I thought, talk a little bit about the theme of amazing grace, uh, okay. of, of saving grace. <clears throat> well, first I have to say, I have always, Henry, always, always been really interested in many different forms of charismatic religion. And also in the, and in the American Transcendentalists who, you know, believe that through nature and through prayer you can somehow get outside of yourself. I mean, all these, and then I've taught for a long time in a Quaker school and have done a lot of different kinds of meditation. And so I um, have just, this is something that has absolutely fascinated me. But as a child, I was taken across the mountain several times by an older cousin who is trying to scare us, I think, to the famous serpent handling charge wow. at Jolo, West Virginia. And first he took us, took us to scare us, and then later I went back with a carload of girls just giggling like crazy, I'm embarrassed to say, because it was, it was thrilling. I mean, in a way, you know. Uh, well, but, of course, it's, it's yeah. also worship. It is a form right. of worship. And later on, when I was uh, working in eastern Kentucky, I've done a lot of work out there with the Heinemann Settlement School mm -hmm. at different times. And... Um, the Appalachian Writers Workshop, and also with the Women's Literacy Program mm -hmm. for three years and things like that. And I was out there, and I was going around, going with a photographer to a serpent handling meeting uh, around there in eastern Kentucky. And again, I was just completely struck. I was just dumbfounded by the degree of very real belief mm -hmm. and bravery and the sense of otherness but i mean just the belief right you, you believe well, now, so much that you will risk right. death for the form of your religion and so i began to talk to the women in some of these churches and then i really began to do a whole series of interviews and was just fascinated by those and by the fact that several of the women and it's a church where the women are often very powerful mm -hmm. And our preachers, you know, and so on. So well, it handlers themselves. The theme, you know, the theme in the book, and, and the snake handling is just a small part right. of it, really. Uh, the thing that I really liked about the book is this idea of in search of grace, in exactly. search of redemption. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me in your, and I know my wife Patty has read all your books and she has shared many of your themes, or the, this theme of self-actualization right. coming into your own right that's and what I, my girls are after you know in all of my books and uh and so grace's journey the first line of that book is my name is florida grace shepherd florida for the state i was born in grace for the grace of god and it is a spiritual search she was born into a serpent handling family that her father was that kind of minister then she left the church and ran off, and now she's making her own spiritual journey toward what? I mean, that is the basis of the book, and it's a geographical journey all around eastern Tennessee and eastern Kentucky and southwest well, Virginia, literally and 
spiritually and the characters are very real what a privilege to get to write that you, book you, i mean it's yeah. a very emotional a very right. very emotional book for me and how, and, and how about the minister whose hair turns white because he was struck by lightning on top of roan mountain i believe well, you know that's all that? very carefully documented I know. And that, mountain, yeah. yeah but that was actually based upon oh. the first uh supposed when this first began it was actually um, on top of Lookout Mountain. It was okay. Lookout Mountain outside of Chattanooga, and this was an incident that supposedly really happened to somebody. So I yeah. create my characters, sure. but I love, love sure. to do the research. Well, that's a uh, terrific book, and, and all your books, uh, everybody likes your books, and everyone loves Lee Smith, and this is Henry McCarthy, and we're on the road at her home today in Hillsborough, North Carolina, and this is WEHC 90.7. Lee, could we get you to read a little bit for us sure. today? We always, uh, and I know you're a great reader and presenter, and gosh, I so you have it. a sure. terrific stage presence, so go for it. Read a little okay. bit for Okay, what am I going to read? Yeah. Let's see. Why don't I read, I, I think maybe I'm going to pick this, because it's, an, it's a story that um, comes from, uh, uh, it has an inspiration in Grundy. Great. And it's named Between the Lines. And I've always loved it when I um, worked for the newspaper in Alabama, for instance. I would edit the copy of the ladies who are writing in from the tiny communities. And in Grundy, I always loved the uh, pieces that were written and by this Mrs. Overby Simpson. This okay. is and a, this is from your book. Which book is this? This is now? a book, uh, Mrs. Darcy oh, yes. and the Blue-Eyed Stranger, yes. my new book. But right. it's but it's new yeah. and selected stories. Okay, and so great. this was written a little back a little while ago. Go for it. And it's about a lady that writes that kind of a column, a made-up lady, but with, with Over Simpson in mind. Loved her work. And this is her talking. I mean, not over. This is my own made-up columnist talking. Peace be with you, from Mrs. Jolene B. Newhouse, is how I sign my columns. Now, I gave some thought to that. In the first place, I like a line that has a ring to it. In the second place, what I have always tried to do with my columns is to uplift my readers, if at all possible, which sometimes, frankly, it is not. After careful thought, I threw out yours in Christ. I am a religious person, and all my readers know it. If I put yours in Christ, however, it seems to me that they will think I am theirs because I'm in Christ, or even that they and I are in Christ together, which is certainly not always the case. I am in Christ, but I know for a fact that a lot of them are not. There's no use acting like they are, but there's no use rubbing their faces in it either. Peace be with you as I see it is sufficiently religious without laying all the cards right out on the table in plain view. I like to keep an ace or two up my sleeves. I like to read between the lines. Okay, very good. And, you know, that's the book um, I was reading. Is that the one that has the red hat ladies it in it? It does. I love that. And that's, it's named, that's a story named House Tour, which is based upon this house where we are right now, here in Hillsborough. I was... Um, upstairs writing a couple of years ago and I heard all this noise down in the front hall like ladies laughing <laughs> and I thought well I got a good imagination but it's not that good so I went down to see what was going on and my whole 
downstairs of my house was filled with the red hat ladies who were on a tour from Gastonia, well, North Carolina, and they thought that my house was on the historic tour, and they were all poking around, and I said, well, ladies, this house is not on the tour, and they said, well, we're already here, can't you show us around? And they got to meet Lee Smith, so they, they <laughs> We had a good time, I, of course sure. I did. I mean, you one know. of them had walked up this hill in her walker. And she said, well, you're not going to make me leave, are you? I'm feeling faint of heart. She said, I believe I have palpitations. <laughs> I said, no, Wait, sit down right there. i got to ask you know? one quick question because yeah. I'm watching the clock here. Here's my producer, Richard, great producer, and he tries to keep me on task. This is this thing about Myrtle Beach I wanted to ask you about because I've read it in your short stories. What is it about Myrtle Beach and its attraction to all of us from southwest Virginia and over in that area? I think, well, see, that was the beach we went to. For some reason, we never did go to Virginia Beach. We all, I guess Myrtle Beach is a little closer, but that is Myrtle Beach, of course, is the polar opposite of the mountains, and it was just so other, you know. It was just so incredible. It was just my idea of vacation and of just a whole other kind of way of life. I mean, I even went, like, with the NYF, and we had pizza, which we called pizza pie for the first time. We came back and we said, we have eaten pizza pie or whatever. But people were always later running off to Myrtle Beach, you know, and going down to South Carolina and getting married and et cetera. It just seemed to symbolize something that we didn't have access to shut in by our straight up and down. Well, I was pleased to see that in some of your writings and also uh, October Sky is a movie and in that movie she and her husband get in an argument and he says well where would you go honey and she says I'd go to Myrtle Beach you know yeah it just and came to symbolize something for us and I think the only reason we keep saying Myrtle Beach is because we didn't know any other beaches <laughs> I mean there are plenty of other beaches but, too but it was just something yeah. beyond something beyond what we knew well it's been a pleasure having you on the program today and I have one more question uh, for Lee Smith uh, a very gracious lady and a very warm and inviting person. So I want to thank you for having us here at your home today. But before we leave, advice. I know you've taught a lot and you're a great writer. What advice for people getting started in writing, Lee? What advice would you give them? Well, I would say uh, that it really is helpful at a certain point to uh Get with a couple of other people who are writing seriously so you can have some, you know, actual critiquing and back and forth about your work. Not your wife. Yeah, and you got, <laughs> not your wife, but not your yeah, best friend. And you got to get that chip off your shoulder, get too. Get that man. chip off your shoulder and realize that this is actually um, something you can learn. It's a trade, like any trade, and there's a lot to be learned and there's an awful lot that can be learned by reading you're only going to be as good as what you're reading it's very helpful to uh, find books to read where the uh, author is writing something like what you would like to write and then look at that book very carefully and kind of take it apart chapter by chapter paragraph by 
paragraph and, and use books as models too. It's like garbage in, garbage out. All You're right. only going to be as good as the books All you read. All right, Lee. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And so one advice that she's giving us, one word of words of advice are be a reader, right? And Absolutely. You've got to be a okay. reader if All you right. want to be All a right. writer. We're, we're going to have to have Lee back on the show Again, this is Henry McCarthy of Poets and Writers coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. Thank you so much, Lee Smith. And this is Henry McCarthy saying, I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.